It feels like this is like the Maxi Praise podcast. Hello and welcome to House of Bards. This is a podcast about roleplay games and all that. Yeah. Yeah, but we talk a lot about like writing and stuff in roleplaying yes. games. Hmm. There are other episodes where we explain this concept more. I think, you know, we're on to episode, what, 23, is it now? Yeah, look, for the uninitiated, just fucking roll with it. Yeah, it's it's fine, don't worry about it. <laughs> Besides, the next episode is probably going to be a weird one anyway, so don't get too used to the concept before you need to. Yeah. Uh, so, this week, uh, <laughs> this week, fuck that, you know, it's been a while, um, took me quite a while to edit the last one, uh, amongst all my other responsibilities at the time, and, um, well, then we had, like, other stuff, uh, we were both very busy, and then Beth was ill the last time that we, we wanted to, to record, mm. but, uh, we asked you guys for topic suggestions, as well as for questions for our Q&A episode, uh, the, the questions we still don't have enough of, by the way, so... If you wanted to hit us up with more of those, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure we gave criteria as to what we wanted wanted in uh, previous episodes, and we might do again. Mm-hmm. But I received a message uh, on my Tumblr from an anonymous person, uh, and it, and it says, uh, "I have a possible question, topic, suggestion for uh, House of Bards. Sorry for the anonymous status. I'm shy. I was wondering about PC backstories and about incorporating them into the storyline." How best to use it, when to avoid it, how to work with a player in weaving their backstory into a plot without making the story all about them and boring the rest of the party or letting them derail the campaign to where they're running it more than you. And I thought this was an interesting uh, subject to, to, mm-hmm. to for, for us to talk about because um, definitely yeah. uh, when we're playing in each other's games, um, that's something that comes up quite a bit. Mm. Um, there's quite a bit of, of uh, integration of player character backstories uh, proposed both by the player and by the dm yeah um into the the wider world in the game um both for jay in my game and for azrael mm-hmm. in beth well i say for azrael i mean i feel like actually for for azrael i think that like azrael is one of the the characters for whom that's least the case in your world because he does have his um nomad background and his uh, connection to Denska as a cleric but um he's not like he, he doesn't have say um Volanthe's history for, of being in the army and he doesn't have whatever no, exactly no, is going true. on with Coslin. <laughs> no yeah true um so, like, I don't know if maybe you, you you wanted to talk about like how you worked with um Becca and Maxie to like sort those to sort those out I mean, honestly, I think with Becca, I need to work a bit more with working her character's backstory and and who Valantha is a bit more. Sometimes I feel that um, I sometimes feel that certain characters sometimes get a bit lost in all of the big personalities, and you have to be aware as the DM that you have to make everyone shine and give their time. So that's something I honestly need to talk to Becca about a little bit more. But it's finding the time to do it. 
and I do not have a lot of time at the minute. <laughs> well, I think However, that, that's that's like the the first big point I think to make about this thing, right? Is that mm. all of that stuff is going to come out of the player and the DM at least, if not yeah. other players as well, um, yeah. working together to sort of knit those two stories together, like either in the game or outside the game. Like that's got to happen. Mm. Yeah. Um, like I know that um, the two of us uh, talked f- quite a bit about um, where you wanted Jay to go, and uh, definitely once we'd established that Jay was the the child of this um, infamous pirate Wanda, mm. um, and ha- and Wanda had a, a number of other children scattered around the uh, the the basin. Uh, definitely, like we worked together, um, yeah. Sort of yes, anding off each other in typical improv fashion to uh, yes to decide who those people were. Mm. Um, I think when it came to Coslin, it was it was very easy. I was like, well, we're in the Fairwild at the minute. Really, we kind of need you know your character to be in the Fairwild. Um, and Maxie already had an idea of the sort of character that she wanted to play. She wanted to play a monk, and I was like, okay. Um, so I have this idea about how, you know, you want to be an elf monk, okay, I have this idea about how this sort of thing could be integrated in, and basically came up with the idea of elf ninjas, um, because she wanted to go down the shadows route, and I was like, well, okay, what about this? So then comes this backstory, this order that sort of we went, and yes, and they do this, and it's still very much always ongoing with Maxie, um, I don't know if she's like this with you, but she'll always, like, go, so... I have this idea, or I was thinking about this the other day. She's yeah, no, like... she, she she absolutely does, and actually, like, I kind of want to um, just <laughs> shout out, I guess. Um, yeah. Like, like Maxie is is really good at this um, in terms of like coming up with with um, expanding uh, like ideas mm. around her characters, uh, but then relaying those ideas to a DM. Um, asking, mm. you know, do do these fit into the world, and also like mm. making them relevant, or at least mm. giving opportunity for the DM to make them relevant. Because, like, I think one of the things that turns people off about characters having a lot of backstory is that quite a lot of the time, if it's been made independently, like mm. it doesn't really have a lot of consequence within the game. Yeah. Uh, and like obviously, that's a lot easier to do without DM um, like interaction if you're working in like a an established universe. Like if you and the DM know about as much as each other about what the canon of Faerun, for example, uh, is like, mm. then you don't need to like really talk to one another if you're just making independent stuff. But then that means that there's not a lot that the DM can do to bring that backstory around to like come and bite the character Mm. so the backstory itself doesn't really have like a huge amount of relevance except in how you play the character like it informs how the character is played but you could just have written like a list of character traits for that and it would Mm. work just as well yeah it's like um how, how to explain this nobody else at the table is going to care that your character um, is slow to trust because they were previously betrayed by a close friend, unless the the betrayal by the close friend becomes relevant within 
like the space where all the characters can interact like for instance if that friend turns up again mm. or if they've betrayed somebody else who now needs help or something like that mm. you know mm. um and maxi is really really good at like constantly touching base with her dms at, as she comes up with this new stuff um mm. for like hooks that those dms could use to yeah. bring that story in and mm. make it relevant to the other characters yeah. like um we talked quite extensively when we were going to add Zaloshka to the the campaign about like, like we actually sort of like um, one on one role played. Um, I want to say the seventy two hours before she joined the uh, the party, where mm. she was just following the party. Yeah. Um, and and, oh, fi- and finding Christ. like all of the the stuff that you guys had done. Yeah. Like like uh, and and you know searching for clues and figuring out like where she needed to go in order to follow you um but like zell also has like this whole huge um backstory related to being a an adopted tiefling uh daughter of a dwarvish family Mm. and has a whole load of like prejudices and quirks related to that but also like a much more recent history which hasn't turned up yet but which she's given me a whole load of of hooks to sort of bring in as this event like that they're going to be aspects of her past that come back and and haunt her and uh i'm trying to think like what what else um oh i did that to becca with um uh i ran on coal right i think yeah 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 because yeah. i ran on coal was becca's or was was marion's mother's first mate yeah so i think yeah, the the second thing that's important with this is that if you're uh, a player making this this stuff up, um, you can't be overprotective about it because in order for it to be relevant and for it not to be boring to the players, mm. the DM has to essentially be able to to riff on it. Yeah. Um, and obviously, like the better the dialogue that you have with your DM about like what that backstory is the less that will bother you because like if you're both on the same wavelength then you can mm. like both expand upon this stuff yourselves yeah. like when we were coming up with Coslin's it feels like this is like the maxi prayers podcast well um, like, like maxi is really really good at this she so is, she's, she's a good, really good at um, this, yeah. like uh, she's a good uh, uh case study for like how this is done well yeah she she <laughs> follow the example class anyway um when we were coming up with Coslin's backstory, I had been reading a bit more about the Fairwild in the um, DMG because I wanted to know, okay, how, how could you do it? How, how am I doing it differently from how they say it's done? Um, and they, they said the bit about time and I was like, oh, that would be really cool because you could do like the kind of displaced time hero thing. But I guess I won't have a chance really to do that because of stuff. So I was like, oh, that's fine then. And then Maxi joined and... Maxi was like, and then Maxi kind of went, so you know time in the Fairwild? And I went, oh my god, yes. And I can't remember who it was who pitched, whether it was me who pitched it or her who pitched Coslin's time displacement. But we, we definitely kind of went, yes, we both want to do this. Let's do it. And then from then on in, the backstory developed in the idea of, okay, well, let's say events happened this many years ago and stuff like that. Okay, well, how has that changed? How was... So, so, so it's, it's one, a real test for me because I have to be like okay well society was a lot different for this character back then to how they are now 
And there is a part of this character's backstory that's kind of been urban legended. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, I yeah. think I get you. Yeah, it's because it, it's that kind of thing. If something really happened in your past that was kind of a big deal, well, surely later on people are going to still talk about it, but it's, you know, it's like Jack the Ripper, isn't it? Like, let's say Jack the Ripper is a time traveller. <laughs> and he travelled, he, he is time displaced, and he, he wakes up in 2016 and he sees all these movies and frogware games and TV series that are somewhat fictionalised representations of him. He's going to be like, holy shit, what the hell? is this yeah and that you know that kind of like you know if you are an actual historical person coming into the future you are for fuck's sake i think uh we say this is the way to do it Mm. but i think it should also be pointed out that you don't have to do it and like like we we talked a fair bit about how good maxi is at this um Mm. shall we talk about matt for a bit yeah sure. because i feel like matt is kind of like the polar opposite in Mm. proficiency at this because like becca doesn't integrate her characters too much but i kind of feel that that's less because she doesn't want to and more because she's kind of a little um nervous with how how really to, to integrate that kind of stuff but I get the feeling that that Matt isolates his characters from the surrounding world deliberately because he does actually seem to think about yeah why is this person unfamiliar with everything that's happening to them and yeah what is their reaction to that because I yeah. feel like um both Silas and Harrow though they are actually reasonably different characters are played as very uh sheltered people who yes. are constantly reacting to new things with everything that they come across Mm. like um even when you guys went to varash which is ostensibly where silas is from Mm. we were like like matt was like well silas recognizes a lot of this stuff but he was enclaved as this like child labored uh jester to a lord Mm. who is now dead and Mm. whose domain no longer exists so he doesn't really have any particular area of familiarity here. It's more that he's just sort of the most comfortable with like his background here, but not with Farash itself because it's a shithole. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, like, like I, I think given that Harrow is similar in that he doesn't seem to have got outside the, uh, oh, what's the city called? Um, but he he was in Celesturi, not Cranzenfall. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, he 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 was in Celesturi because he was uh, a lawyer yeah. there, and you get yeah. you get the implication that he's never really been outside Celesturi, mm. or that yeah, if he I had, was, yeah, that, he didn't accurate, like, learn yeah. a lot. Um, yeah, but it kind of seems like Matt does that quite deliberately. Yeah, um, I think it. Yeah, I think it is. And I think like it, like uh, in the old days. Um, if I can channel one of my uh, my friends who who likes old school D anD D, in my opinion, a bit too much, um, it was quite common to like have this idea that if your player characters had an extensive backstory at all, it wasn't really related to like where they were going because they were supposed to be exploring and everything was going to be new to them. And I'm like, I don't really like that. 
Um, mm. And I don't feel that it's that necessary as long as you don't have, like, all the people in the, the campaign having the same backstory, essentially. Yeah. Because as long as there's one person who is unfamiliar with what is going on at any one time, there's always going to be a justification for, like, exploring the unknown and having things explained to you and stuff like mm. that. Um, and it doesn't have to be the same character all the time. No. So th that's a justification, I think, for having, like, a, a, a band of, of diverse people, but who all have, like, a, a different backstory. Yeah. But I think, like... Um, I think actually the reason it works so well for Matt to have like essentially blank slate characters who are mm. are always exploring is because he's very confident and accomplished in doing that. Like he's not yeah. he's not like oh I'd better not tie my uh, character down too much to a particular area because I don't really understand the the, the setting or stuff like that. He's like give my character. I, I know I want my character to be this this um, inexperienced person who is always discovering new things. So let's define like a really, really walled garden of stuff that will, that has to be in my character's backstory. Mm, yeah. And I'll remember that. So it's like um, he remembers the, like, the stuff about his childhood, Silas does. Um, mm. And uh, Harrow remembers before his accident. And yeah. He's an accomplished lawyer because that's what he was doing. Like, yeah, like he knows some of the people in Celesteri, and he can get into places by saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm a lawyer. I am. Well, that's that's how we've been using him anyway. Yes, and as you know, he he's definitely. I think like in a few weeks' time, he's definitely going to use those skills. So absolutely. Um, <laughs> But no, I, I, it's difficult to articulate why I, I, I think that like Matt is so proficient at this, but I, I, I think it's definitely that he, he knows where his limits are. Yeah. And so he designs characters with that in mind. Um, whereas sometimes I get the implication um, from Becca, and this is, I think, kind of cruel to Becca to, to contrast to her, but I think that's, that's <laughs> what works the best, um, that she would like for her characters to have like a, a, a more established background. Yeah. But... She's not really sure how to go uh, around with that, along with that. So, yeah. if that's the case with a, a player in, in in your game, I would say uh, extend extend what they've given you and try yeah. and give them opportunities to like. This is this is all coming down to like the rules of improv again, right? Yeah, where you just um, you you give opportunities for that player to gain confidence and to grab on and say yes and. Like you know, this 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 sort of 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 thing that I can I can now come up with. Um, definitely, though, I would say to make it the most interesting, there is no like problem at all with a player talking to the DM outside the session about. Oh yeah. You know, this is what the backstory is. Most of it's probably irrelevant, but hey, maybe if you wanted to use like these hooks about things mm. to bring it down. Yeah, I think there are things that I'm going to work in with with Becca about being a ranger and her kind of patron animal and stuff like that that are going to kind of become more of a thing um, and we're going to focus more on nature <laughs> in that direction if she goes for it. Because I sometimes feel as a DM, this is just me personally, I'm like, oh, are they going to be okay with the direction 
that I, I would like them to go in or the ideas that I have. Do they have any ideas and what what are their feelings on this? Well, it doesn't fucking matter because Azrael's going to derail the train anyway. Well, yeah, I know that with Azrael, but it's <laughs> the, the, the players who behave... <laughs> um... <laughs> Let's talk about Asriel for let's talk about you for a minute. <laughs> oh, fuck's sake. Okay, so uh, I don't know if actually we mentioned this uh since the last time Asriel's like p- progress in your game came up in a podcast. Mm. Probably not because it's mostly recent developments. Yeah. But <sighs> shall we start from the beginning? Um do you want to explain the god of narrative? Right, okay. So Sinus, the god of um wit cleverness, narrative and stories is a presence and a god within the world. And some people believe that Sinus is basically he's he's like, he's basically just writing one big story and we're all characters in Mm. that book. So he's in effect like the the god of of fate and destiny as well. Yeah. Because uh, Yes, whether that's true or not, it's religion. Mm. Who knows? You'd have to ask him. You can ask him. He's a real person who exists within the world. And <laughs> uh, recently, uh, was it like um, specific followers of Sinus, or was it some detached party? I can't remember if Azrael ever like was actually had it explained to him who they were, but who invited. I him think to it was breakfast. the High Cleric Council. So it was the leaders of all the different sort of churches of the different gods who very strongly believe in this universal narrative, mm. who, who all buy into this idea very strongly. So they, they like... invited the party to breakfast, I think, mm. and explained very patiently um, the idea of Sinus like, controlling the universal narrative and writing the best story. Mm. And Asriel took this concept very badly. Like, like he he is not enamored with the idea that a uh, an all powerful exoplanar being is basically controlling his destiny to the point where he has no agency whatsoever. Mm. Um, so he's gradually falling apart because of his like anxiety around that idea, especially when um, they found the the cairn, the the barrow. Yes. Mm. No, you, you had a name for it. What was the Kurgan. Yeah, you found the Kurgan, which had paintings in it detailing the story of an entirely separate person from long ago whose um, personal narrative was very similar to Azrael's. Mm. Not like exactly the same. There were differences, but similar. And like f- basically from that point onwards, um, Azrael has been like experiencing. He's having a mental breakdown, basically. Yeah, he is. He he need we've just you've he's he's not this, well and he needs, needs help. Uh, yeah. But now he's got it into his head that the only way to grant himself agency, and this is really ironic, I feel, um, is to try and be the most morally inconsistent and throw off the narrative. Like, if he can mm. act in such a weird way that any story about him is, like, incomprehensible bollocks, then he feels like he'll be able to have his own agency um, free from sinners. Mm. Which is ironic because it means that he's being forced to do things like knowingly commit <laughs> evil acts, even though he doesn't necessarily want to commit those evil acts in order to, like, gain his fucked up idea of his own agency. 
which yeah. isn't actually his own agency at all because he's doing stuff he doesn't want to do. Yeah. But uh, recently, he turned into a werewolf deliberately. Like, they went to a big lycanthrope orgy and he went and talked to a werewolf lady and he was like, can you make me a werewolf? And she was like, can you give me a child? And he was like, that seems a good a, a, a good exchange. Sure, we can probably sort that out. And then he uh, he turned into a werewolf and led a group of harpies into a peaceful orc settlement where the harpies killed uh, a small number of children. And now he's in a hole awaiting trial for for doing that. Mm. Even though he didn't actually want to do that and he feels <laughs> bad about doing it, but he's like, I have to do evil things because otherwise I'm the hero of this story and I don't, like, like my entire life is being controlled. I like how, like, Azriel has this slight ego where he thinks obviously he's the hero <laughs> this is the I don't thing. think the idea that he could be the villain of the story has occurred to him like occasionally he tries to steer himself away from it yeah but uh but definitely like at the moment he thinks that he's uh th- that Sinus is trying to force him into the hero slot but I, I mm. think like the uh he-, he has two reasons really to have um like uh, what's the word? Um, attacks of of, of conscience. Uh, yeah. Like both actual conscience and wait, I'm doing too many evil things. I might become the villain. I gotta like balance this out again. <laughs> to to fuck with sinners. <laughs> Just stare as rapidly, widely yeah. neutral as possible. <laughs> But I think um, going and attacking the harpies that were trying to carry off children was um, actual yeah, conscience. Yeah, like it balances it out. He has, oh, really? That's kind of, this. Um, I'm doing a really bad thing. And then him trying to be like, look, Vexus, here's my thing in a kind of vague way. And Vexus being like, that's not really good enough, mate. Well, he, and- he was more like, hey, Vexus, you're a really good person and I'm really sorry about what happened to you. Uh, but you're controlled by Sinus, so basically you're not really a person because you don't have like the agency of a human being. <laughs> so he's still kind of like fucked up, but he's really not well and he's like experiencing more and more of a mental breakdown that isn't really being treated. Hmm. I'd I'd say he has PTSD, but I'm not entirely sure what the establishing trauma for that would have been. Mm. Um, I guess it would be the Kurgan. I suppose so, but I suppose you could also link it all back down to the fact that, like, everything just ever since he got that letter from Lady M, everything has just been, like, forcing him... Definitely he doesn't like the idea that other people are controlling what he does yes yeah, so whether they away. be gods of narrative or just like powerful uh people like he still he still hates um like uh the the the, the shadow even though he's sort of got sidetracked by the idea that a much more powerful being is controlling him now yeah um but like lady m as well he was like yeah. i don't like this woman i don't like how she's able to control me I don't like that she apparently wants to have sex with me. <laughs> Man, we'll wait until you find out what the god of stories wants to do to him. 
Does Sinus want to have sex with him as no, well? No, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but that <laughs> wouldn't be entirely out of character. But I, I feel like he was, he, he was like, um, I'm not attracted to this woman, and given how much she's manipulated me already, I worry that she would attempt to control me in bed as well, which I'm not into. <laughs> Oh dear. But but definitely he needs help that he's not getting. And <laughs> that that has a lot of effect on what Beth had planned for how the, the scenarios were gonna go. Well like, yeah, but that's just the way it is, isn't it? Like yeah. I wasn't like like I make fun of Alex a lot for constantly derailing everything. But honestly it's like I, I feel like it was more of a surprise to you the first time at the Kurgan. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I, I, like, I think this time you seemed kind of more ready for it. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of figured you might do something like this. So it's then just very realistically thinking, okay, what would I do mm. if someone led a bunch of violent beasts yeah. into my house and killed a bunch of my children? How would I react? Hmm, I would probably want to punish that person. Yeah. And it's a pity because, like... I get the feeling that Beth is at least uh, slightly sympathetic to what is happening to Asriel. Yeah. But none of the characters but... she currently controls that the party are coming into contact with have any real vested interest in giving him the help he needs, so that has to come from within the party. Yeah. Like, so, like sorry, this is... And, like, basically <laughs> I think it's got to come from Harrow at this point, right? It does, yeah. Because Volanthe is not sympathetic to Asriel at all. No. And... I don't really think Coslin understands what's going on. Mm. Uh, whereas Harrow is going to have to talk to Azrael in order to build his case for defending him as a lawyer and might yeah. be able, through that conversation, to figure out, oh, wait, shit, this guy is really, really unwell. Mm. Although, this is Harrow we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, I think if we're going to, like bring this back to a point at all it would be mm. to say that if there's not a lot of um backstory for a character mm. expect their f- front story air quotes to, yes. to uh assume the same role yeah like pretty much all of the things that are defining Azrael as a character now are things that have happened since the start of the campaign really yeah Re- yeah, really. It's it's sort of st- like I don't really ever go into the pirate stuff. No, or or really know. like the uh, the nomad stuff. Like no, not particularly. He, he has an affinity with nomads he meets, but like mm. it's really like politeness more than anything. Like, yeah, it, it doesn't really like come up a lot. Yeah, it's it's more like when you like when you're like abroad and you meet another English person mm. and like you don't really know them <laughs> and you're like oh uh, you're English where are you from oh I'm from Sussex oh I'm from mm. I'm from the north anyway see you later it's that yeah. kind of a thing yeah if there's not a lot of backstory then maybe the player is detached but maybe mm. also like I think Silas does this quite a lot as well like um mm. definitely Matt has talked to me a lot about Silas's newfound religion. Yes. Because he took a level in Paladin in order to become a Paladin of Vesisak, the goddess of chaos, because um, it fit his character. And like, yeah. definitely that's uh, that's become quite a, a big part of his character now in certain contexts. So, uh, so Matt talks to me about that now. So it may be that your player just wants to build their story during the game, which is fine. You know, that's that's a legitimate way of doing it. Uh, did you have anything else to say? 
Um, maybe. Was I going to talk about my characters? Because I think it's only fair. We've covered everyone else in our yeah, group. Yeah. Uh, like I mean, like Jay has quite a lot of this. So if you wanted to yes, talk about Jay's Jay. got a lot of backstory and front story. Absolutely. <laughs> but I think that that's just something that's bound to happen when you've been playing a character for like ten levels. It's going to there is going to be a lot involved of it because you've been playing the character that long. You've had a bit of backstory. Backstory stuff's either sort of been resolved or it's tied up or it's sort of continuing to drip in. And then you have like the current. Jay's current motivation, which is um, all Razorbacks must die. Hmm. Yeah. And like Jay becoming more and more monstrous. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, just definitely doing like a very do you, do you slow. Think, do you think um, Marion's gonna. D- did Marion find out what Jay did? Marion did, yeah. There, w- there was a confession, I think. Oh, because... right, yeah. Yeah. And Jay was like, like I... I ate a bunch of people, and I'm only like 80% sure that they were bad people who deserved to get eaten. Yeah, and I'm not even really that sorry about it. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, okay. <laughs> Marion, credit to her, just is supportive, rolls with it. Yeah, but I think that was because um, Becca said that Marion was uh, having a heel turn at the moment because yeah, of the destruction yeah, well, of yeah. her ship. Yeah. So definitely, um, I remember when I did the uh, the the funny, like all of the characters with drill drill tweets. Yeah. And I gave Zell, um, I regret being tasked the emotional burden of maintaining the final bastion of morality and nice manners in this endless ocean of human shit. <laughs> With shit capitalized. Yeah. Which, I mean, I do, I do feel sorry for Zaloshka because she's just kind of came onto this group. And I feel if she'd been in this group like mm, five levels ago, she'd be all right. <laughs> and we'd... Maybe. But that's not the case. And she has to deal with all these, like, these three people who are slowly, slowly turning jaded and evil. Hmm. Whereas I feel like Valanthe is is the the equivalent in your game. Yeah. Like, nobody's yeah. super good, but I feel like Harrow is either up to shenanigans of his own occasionally, or just, like, bemusedly rolling with Asriel's shenanigans, and Coslin doesn't know enough about what's going on to really, like have much of an ethical opinion wow that is that is badly judged Azriel has no idea what's going on <laughs> what, what, what do you mean sorry well Coslin's the one who's always up to fucking something Coslin's the sneaky fucker in this group and Vel- Volante is like I have to maintain the moral oh no I, I, I'm, I'm saying in as much as there is an equivalent like I know Volante yeah. has uh, skeletons in the closet yeah, and it is is not the uh, the final bastion of morality and nice manners in this endless ocean of human shit. <laughs> she might as well be like the bar was not set high. No, <laughs> it's it's literally like um, I kind of compare you guys in my head a little bit to the Guardians of the Galaxy, just a little bit because like it's it's like although that's that's more. Um, Becca, Becca's game, isn't it? Were the Guardians of the Galaxy? <laughs> I do feel that um, if you're making the comparison, I think you're making that's quite fair for Be- Becca's game because yeah. um, Bippo and uh, Trick do remind me quite a bit of Rocket and Groot. Yeah. I mean, like obviously, Trick says more, 
but yeah, and he's furry and small. And I, I trick, trick isn't. No, tricks. But 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 Bippo is, is Bippo. Uh... Bippo, yeah, Bippo's basically Rocket. I'm yeah. not. <laughs> I'm not gonna deny character inspirations, but Bippo's basically Rocket Raccoon. I feel like Trick is the heavy from TF2, but yeah. but specifically the heavy from the comics, who is a lot more erudite and I'd say intelligent than the heavy yeah. from like the animatics and stuff. Yes. <laughs> One of the other secrets as to how to make this not boring to other players is involve other players in stuff that you've decided is background for a character. Yeah. So for instance, when um uh, Jordan and I thought up the bailiffs i was like so balasar like the main point of the bailiffs is to provide a backstory foil for balasar mm. but marion also has had some interactions with the bailiffs and they dislike her as well mm. like not as much as balasar by a long shot no. but but like definitely she has freed slaves from them before and they mm. remember that and so like if you can have like either already established or built connections between aspects of player characters backstories that you want to uh bring into like the the main campaign it will definitely make it more interesting for people like um oh my god silas's crush on jay's sister yeah that was good <laughs> that was good yeah when um what was her name merin the sea witch who is one of the twins, like mm. uh, Jay's older sisters, uh, turned up to help, and like there was no discussion on this. Like I have to credit Matt with this. Um, the idea of like Silas is like, wow, she's weird like me, <laughs> and she's really accomplished, and like her siblings right here and can introduce us. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that was that was terrible for Jay because like um, fuck that that there was uh, Lida trying to boink Peter as well, yeah, and succeeding. And Jay was like, "My siblings turn up, and suddenly everyone wants to fuck them." <laughs> what can we say? The the Perry Eckland family are just like um, the... I I can't remember which, which ones which ones which. Um, um Wanda's Eckland. Alright, so so yeah, the yeah. the uh the Ecklands, if you like. They got mad game, yeah. Yeah. Well, I suppose on in Peter's case, yeah, because like he didn't really even do anything. Yeah, he just he just stood there like he was just responsible and mm. big brotherly and, and Linda was like, Oh yeah, gotta get me Yeah. Gotta get in on that. And Jay was like, No, you're a halfling. He will literally split you in half. God. And Lydia was like, that is a risk I am willing to take. Oh, God. Whereas, by contrast, like, Silas's infatuation was reasonably innocent. Yeah, it was like, and yeah. Like, I think this was even before uh, Silas was introduced to sex as a concept. Oh, yeah. Shit. Yeah, that was bad. I wouldn't do that again. Like, no. I, I think that that thematically in the uh, in the session, 
came out a lot more innocent than it would actually be if it happened to a real person. And yes. So no, so yeah. so I, so I want to say like I got away with it, but mm, yeah. that was a bad thing to to do. Just like um, can can we say what happened? Uh, Did we say on a we? previous podcast? I can't I'm remember. On... So so uh... like Silas was aware of the concept of alcohol before this happened for quite mm. a while, and while searching for Pierre the dwarf. They stopped off in like the university in the swamp mm-hmm. because Jay had waded into a pool that had then turned into a vat of acid, and they had downstairs problems, <laughs> namely that all of the skin had peeled off their legs. Mm-hmm. So they were going to stay like everyone was going to stay there overnight while Jay healed up, mm-hmm. and somehow uh, Silas woke up. In the bed of a middle-aged maths teacher. Which, given Silas's earlier implied unfamiliarity with the concept of sex and with the desire of other people, because there was that thing that we did in the um, the garden party, if you remember. Yeah. The, uh, the, the socialite who tried... <laughs> who, who tried to flirt with him and he didn't understand what she was talking about. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, and it, it was it was bad. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah, it was it was real bad. Like I think everybody involved played it off very well, but that was gross, and I wouldn't do it. Yeah, again. I because I don't think you meant to do no, it. No, no, definitely, then... definitely not. Like, uh, and we was... all realized, oh shit, yeah. actually no. Yeah, I think like all afterwards, we all realized, oh wait, Silas is essentially well was essentially clueless about this stuff. So maybe, oh oh dear, that is. If not yeah. something very serious, like still reasonably uncomfortable. Yeah, and then we were like, okay, well, moving on. <laughs> yeah, it's like we were like, okay, that happened. If Matt's cool with saying that Silas suffers no adverse later effects from it, then we'll just not mention it again. Yeah, we'll just chat on. Yeah. Whereas you know, compare compare Harrow losing his virginity was a wonderful loving. And explicitly thing. consensual thing, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's really nice with, like, an orgious, like, background romance ambiance. I should be clear. Um, Like, I'm aware that in context, this makes it only slightly better, if at all. But I'm pretty sure that at the time, I also made it explicit that the teacher herself was drunk. Like, yeah. It was not a, not a case of, like, her finding this, um, like weird tall 19 year old boy and taking advantage of him or anything like that yeah, but was... still yeah it's that's fucked up and i shouldn't yeah. have done it no. it's, it's yeah sometimes fucked up shit happens like... like like occasionally you slip and that sort of stuff yeah goes yeah. on um that's another thing actually is like it's best if uh your player communicates like what they are and aren't okay with yeah in all cases but especially when you're dealing with um stuff that you've co-created yeah i think that there are certain players who i'm like okay i don't really want to put them in a situation where they have to do with something that i especially know they've dealt with personally yeah and like obviously um i always want my players to be comfortable at the table because yeah. i'm like what what what's the it's not worth it for like an imaginary like world that i'm like actively yeah um i'll give an example so in in the other game the one that i run on tuesdays um the players are being given 
missions to complete by a being who communicates to them through other people. Um, basically, like this being has a group of people that they've chosen and who like uh as a description they they approach the players and they look really spaced out and they look really pale and initially um the uh the the reason that i had for why they looked very pale was because when you are possessed air quotes by this being um you feel compelled either as an act of reverence or as an act of rebellion i hadn't quite decided which to like carve uh, a symbol pertaining to that being onto some part of your body and like that that was why they looked pale was because if this had been done recently they were like having issues with blood loss basically um or or with or with just being you know uh kind of 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 sick because it's kind of fucked up you know like like carving something into your own flesh um and i think this player picked up on what was about to happen and asked for a description of 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 these people as they approached and was like can i ask a question so as to gather more information and also to highlight something that i'm not cool with and i'm like yeah and he's like do they you know how you said they look pale do they like look like they've self-harmed and like obviously i immediately picked up okay that's that's not gonna work let's yeah um so I, I I like immediately seamlessly I'd like to say uh, switched tack and was like no no they don't and then yeah. like in the back internally I changed it to um, because it was already established like this is a, f- yeah. a fairly uh, extreme thing to have your your mind taken over by this uh, vaguely omnipresent being it just makes yeah. you ill mm. that's why yeah. you, that's yeah. why you look pale is it it, yeah, it makes you sick because like, because. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some of your bodily processes are having to run a bit more manually than they otherwise might because yeah. something is occupying your mind a bit. Mm. So it's just you, you, you get sick. Yeah, so, yeah, and you know there are different. Where I'm like, okay, I don't necessarily want to put them in a position where either they have to deal with that on a personal level from that character, or it's quite a big, heavy part of the plot. And if it is going to be a big, heavy part of the plot, make it s- sympathetic. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. make it like. Oh, this isn't a fucked up thing that happens, lol. It's more like a, like... Se- yeah, like, if if you're going to include the fucked up thing and a player has made it clear that they consider it a fucked up thing, run with it being a fucked up thing if you're going to keep yeah. it in. Yeah. Like, if they're like, it's fine if it's portrayed as being a horrible thing and you were kind of going to portray it as a horrible thing anyway, but you weren't going to give it much attention, yeah. be like, okay, well, it is a horrible thing and people are horrified by it. Yeah. Whereas then there's the flip side of that, uh, where there are players who are like, so I'm going to pitch that, where I was like, so to Maxi, for example, I was like, she's like, hey, is this what training for the Nightingales was like? And I was like, mm, no, that's more of the Rangers thing. It's more like a kind of Hunger Games situation with you guys. And she went, that's messed up. I love it. Here's how it went down. And I was like, fantastic. Oh, yeah. You know, most people wouldn't be cool with the idea of children murdering each other, but Maxie and me, we're, we're all for it. I mean, like... Not in real life. Yeah, obviously. I was going to say, I feel like Maxie is not okay with the idea of no, children not, murdering each other. not okay with the idea of children murdering each other. But, but having like... started from the position that Coslin has had a fucked up life, like, mm. adding more fucked up things to it is is, is not yeah. really a problem. Like, definitely, definitely, that's um, that's... 
it's the way to go. And um, to be honest, I would say look up the basics of improv mm. because we keep coming back to like all the stuff which is rules that like I've heard before and it's stuff like um, yes and and uh, no pimping. So like don't put the other person in a position where all the attention is on them to do something that they haven't previously agreed to do. Mm. Like, I'm trying to figure out how that would really manifest in um, in role-playing games, but it's like, don't spring things on people. Give them an out. Mm. Yeah. Um, and continue building. Like, if there's one person who's doing all the creating and one person who's just, like, ratifying it, that's not really going to go anywhere. Mm. Um which might be fine if like you're playing that kind of character like you can get away with that but then you're not mm. really like playing the kind of character whose backstory weaves into the the campaign mm. at large which is what we're talking about so obviously yes. it makes sense that that we would discourage that in this particular context mm. um i think something i want to mention related yeah. to this context uh just because it's on my mind recently is traveler I feel like I've talked about Traveller's character creation system on the podcast before, mm-hmm. although maybe I just intended to. But in my opinion, Traveller is really, really good at working the backstories of the characters into the mechanics of the game. Because the way it works in Traveller, and unfortunately I can't grab my uh, my source book from here, but the way it works is you start with very, very, very few things. You start with your... Um, stats and your home world and from there you take uh you, you start at age 18 and you take blocks of history as in this is your character's backstory so far and the blocks are four years long and you can do things like um try to get into the military and if you get into the military then you spend four years in the military or uh, and then you get you get dis- discharged or you carry on in the military and stuff like that or you can have been a a security guard or a drifter or like an explorer or something and you keep doing those and getting more and more like bonuses and and rewards and stuff um and when you decide to stop you're like okay now your character is this old and has these things and that's where you start from and uh mongoose traveler which is the version that i run uh has a mechanic that I haven't really used where other players can, during somebody's uh, career building, say, let's do a crossover here. This is where this character first met my character. And and yeah, w- one helped the other out with something because it makes sense at this particular yeah. point. Um, and and it uh, the thing I really like about that is that it builds these... Uh, well, first of all, Something I think is cool is that it means that characters in Traveller are generally significantly older than characters in other systems. Like quite a lot when you play D&D, you have like all of these uh, adventurers who like the two ages you could be are either 18 or like 70 if somebody's playing like a gimmick old aged character. But like otherwise everyone is like this this fresh faced uh, young adult who doesn't know shit. And it's kind of... Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of fun in Traveller to play groups of experienced people in their late twenties, mm. early thirties, 
even as old as 40 is like generally people like there's a cutoff point where you start losing because because you get old right where it's like you can continue taking blocks of career but you have to lose like one of one of these three stats for every block that you choose like every four years older yeah. you get you lose some of your some of your looks or some of your virility or yeah i, I meant virility in the non-sexual way although probably also the sexual way let's that's, that's yeah. real here i think that's um yeah, which is we, you know, that's such a kind of weird, interesting about my D and D group because most of you guys like late twenties. I think. In, yeah, I, I established like like Azriel was twenty eight, wasn't he? Yeah. And Valanthe, I think, is younger than that, but she's still a, a war veteran. Yeah. So she's not like a fresh faced farm girl or whatever. Yeah. And, no, and you know, like age has no meaning when applied to Coslin anymore. Coslin <laughs> is three hundred and thirty something. Yeah. So yeah, and I don't actually know how old Harrow is. Uh, Harrow's around the same age as um, Valantha, I think. Oh, okay. They're not young. We're not really not like fresh-faced youngsters. Not really. No, like they all had stuff that they were doing beforehand. Yeah. Oh. Which I. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's, that's that is cool. Yeah. No, I I think that's just weirdly it was one of the themes i wanted to do with my story and you guys all seem to pick up on it really well you guys didn't want to play fresh faced youngsters you wanted to play people with experience or a bit of worldliness to you and and when the opportunity came along like, or oh, you could do have been doing this which a bit is how valanthe ended up being an army veteran she was like oh yeah no that actually sounds pretty good yeah that's what i want to be that's you know i want to play this class okay well you would be doing either one of these few things. Oh, that sounds pretty good, actually, yeah. So... I think I was like, um, I want Asriel to be grumpy, but not like... I, like, if, if he's uh, too edgy for you, then I want him to have sort of like fallen into a rut of that instead of just like acting out because he's like 17 or whatever. Yeah. Like definitely, there was the uh, the potential. I think even at the start for Azriel to just become like actually just an unpleasant person, but th- <laughs> there was like the idea of you know he's been doing this for a while. It's not just that he's uh, he's got it into his head that like he knows everything and and that the world is shit and and rah, 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 angst angst. Yeah, it's more that just like you know he's he's jaded now, so he's got to yeah. be like ten years older than he would otherwise be. Yeah, like yes, Azriel if he were eighteen would be really annoying. But also, Azriel if he were eighteen wouldn't have witnessed all the horrendous things that he witnessed because I think they all happened when he was about nineteen. I think so. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think we have it on like a, a ten year time scale that yeah, the would... genocide of his people it, happened. Definitely, I remember at some point we did sit down and work it out. Yeah, like like we we do talk about like the stuff like that, especially um when. Uh, you and I talk about the Ecklands. Yes. And I'm like, I want to include one of the Ecklands in something I'm doing. So, like, um, I try not to make them all turn up at once. And I think, like, we, we've we got better in how we, um, how, how we deal with that. Because I struck out entirely on my own with Samir because I wanted you to have, like, Jay's reaction. Yeah. So, like, it was obvious that Samir had to be younger than Jay so that Jay wouldn't know about him. Yeah. But then after that, it was like, okay, all of the others are older than Jay. So, oh, no, that's not true, actually. Octavia is younger than Jay, but yeah. But Jay 
was vaguely aware of Octavia. No, Jay was not aware of Octavia, actually. It's just you were. Like, Octavia yeah. Octavia was planned, let's say. <laughs> yeah. Um... Whereas, uh, I'm trying to think, like, who the ones we haven't seen yet are. Um, it's, uh... Who... Meryn's twin sister, yes. Tara. Tara, we haven't seen We've Tara. We've heard of her. Although, um... I think Maxie and I planned the idea that Zell might have met Tara. Oh, okay. Like in a very brief period before Zell went off to be a paladin and an unfortunate thing happened. Right. Um, like, yeah, only very briefly. And like when Tara was coming in on a, a ship she was protecting. Yeah. Something like that. Um, there's, there's Tara and there's um, oh, the, the, the Zevran Aranai one. Yeah, yeah, the... Zevran XB1, the kind of Ara- Aramis, that's him. Aramis, who is, yes. Who is the, the second child, so the first half-elf. Yeah. Because Pete, Pete is a human. Yeah. But everyone else is a half-elf because Wanda has a type. And then, of course, there's Wanda herself, but man, like, I really want to include Wanda at some point, but I, I do worry that we've, like, built her up, built the legend up too big and, and the woman wouldn't yeah. measure up. See that that that's the thing as well. Maxi has a character in their past, and I know I'm going to have to play them imminently. And my God, I want to get, I want to nail that character uh, right on. Like there's a I, I, there's a there's a bunch of people in Zaloshka's past who, like, at some point I would have to to play, and mm. most of them, uh, I think. Like I could reasonably well like uh, pull off as long as I studied the conversation that we'd had before, mm. but there's a villain in Maxie's past and also a close friend to whom something horrible has happened, mm. and I'm like, oh, I've got to play these just the right way, and definitely the villain's got to be like a villain villain because yeah. this character is really really important to what went wrong with Zuloshka, so he can't just be like a, a two bit villain who shows up once and was not really considered very important. Yeah. Like I get that that's the thing as well. This this guy has to be like I'm trying to think of a good example. Um and I kind of can't think of a very good example, but a character who perhaps Coslin has complicated feelings over. Um, oh, yes. Yes, I remember this 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 character's existence being implied. Yeah. Before and a character who has complicated feelings about Coslin as well, but is kind of a really fucking awful person. Like they're an actual villain. Um. So yeah, like given the way that Maxi played it off as affecting Coslin when that stuff came came up in the Feywild, I was kind of like, man, I'm really glad that Azriel probably doesn't give a shit about this because <laughs> <laughs> it seems complicated. Yeah. And I think that's we we were talking about how to you know make other characters care about backstories. It's like make the players care, make the players want to find out more about mm. this sort of thing. Because I I would hope you're all interested in Coslin's backstory because it's gonna. I be mean, a I big am. Deal. Asriel isn't, yeah. but I am. Yeah, you know, like everyone is gonna have that. Like, if the first one, if the first arc, the first big quest line is about you getting the foundation of the prob the, the scope of the thing you're dealing with. Mm. The next one is about everyone's pasts converging and coming to bite them in the arse. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um like I, I have names for all the little mini arcs in my head. 
And the next one is called The Course of True Love Never Did Run Smooth. Uh, yes, so I think we've kind of reached the end of this episode. I kind I've of feel we have. My, my voice is getting very hoarse, and I yes, imagine that your so, head is probably hurting. Yes, so... Um, in order, in conclusion, it is important that um, you know there's a good dialogue between DM and players. Um, if, and if the uh, if if like a summation of the rules of improv, as I understand them, is available online, I might put that in the description um, mm -hmm. because I think uh, definitely what what I've learned from this episode is that those are very very similar to the rules that you kind of have to follow when doing this kind of thing if that makes sense. Um, so it would be good, I think, to read those, uh, just to, to, to kind of see about how you can have that kind of a relationship between a player trying to work backstory into like a game and a DM who wants players, player characters to be engaged. Mm -hmm. um, housekeeping. Uh, so this, um, so, uh, th this topic as I mentioned at the start, was submitted by a fan. Well, someone mm -hmm. I presume is a fan. Maybe they hate the podcast, but I don't feel that they probably wouldn't have gone to all the trouble of typing out uh, this suggestion if they did. Um, we love getting those. Um, it's always good to have more stuff in the tank. Uh, Beth has suggested a topic which we might do next episode. Um, like re recently to me, like like we we were just talking before we started recording this one about a topic that I think is very interesting. Hmm. Um, alternatively, there's other stuff in the tank. Um, to be honest, we should probably like stop putting off the uh, the complicated episodes. Like, yeah, we, no. we, we still want to do the, <laughs> the stories episode. Uh, the Q&A episode is legitimately held up behind questions. So we have received some yeah. questions. But again, if you can submit more questions for us about anything like about something that you want to hear about um like obviously uh submit to us any like questions about role playing that you have because mm -hmm. if we consider it a like a topic with enough material in it we can do it as a as an episode and if we don't then we can answer it during the the q a episode like offhandedly yeah. that'll be fine so it'll get answered one way or another unless it's obscene or we just can't answer it um yeah but ask us about our games ask us about general writing like i've heard that some people really like the podcast just for for that um for like cooperative writing for um interacting with other people honestly like if if you want to ask about that we have some experience with that uh hell um playing games uh play, playing uh tabletop rpgs remotely like we have experience with that it, like, yeah you know skype is good program fun fact the two of us have never met in person no never ever no so so yeah definitely uh you, you say skype is good for that skype can be used for that like like if you you and your group are already like sorted out with i don't know i, I can't remember what the the alternative is called but uh probably better you know in any case continue to send us stuff because the more material that we have the uh, more episodes like that become possible and the quicker we can make new episodes like obviously mm. we can continue doing class studies but those are kind of if we just run out of stuff to do like we haven't forgotten mm. about them but they are supposed to be a, a last minute like thing 
It just didn't really feel right to to come back after this this break we've been on and just do one of those like we didn't even care. I, I don't think that would have been appropriate. Yeah. And this was a we've good. Got some... This was a good topic. Yeah. yeah. I forgot about. Were a meaty anyway. meaty topic. Yeah, yeah, quite meaty actually. Um, yeah. I, I was surprised at how much we were able to get out of this. Uh, so yeah. Um. I have no idea what the backing image I'm going to use for this is, but uh, I've no idea. Attribution for it will be in the video description, uh, as will attribution for the music, which was by Kevin McLeod. And I've been Alex, and I've been Beth. And uh, you can find uh, us on Twitter and Tumblr. Um, I am Cleaver Crumish, and I'm Baroness Bump. In fact, actually. You can find both of us on Twitch also under you those can. names. That is that yeah, we should we should mention that. Um so I've been streaming for quite a while. I have a bunch of different shows I stream on Thursdays and Sundays. Uh uh-huh. Beth, what about you? Um I do two shows at the minute I'm doing trying to I'm only sort of, sort of one show at the minute um while I kind of work getting it better. Um one of them is called Perfect Partners and it's about dating sims, but dating sims where you date animals or people that turn into animals. Which is apparently a genre. It is. There's quite a few of them. Yeah. Like, I'm not expecting it to be particular, like, there to be a lot of games in it. Um, you know. Um, and then the other one, which for the minute is still the same game because it's quite an LGBT friendly game, is games that have LGBT protagonists. Like, a lot of people have been suggesting games that are like, oh, this game has um, a really has like a gay character in that features very heavily, but they're a main character. They're not the protagonist, and I want mm. protagon. I haven't. I want protagonists. Um, and I, I do have an idea of a couple of games that yeah. we're going to pick up along the way. Um, I, I do really recommend um, Beth's stream. Like it's a bit rough around the edges, but currently she's playing Hustle Cat, which is a really good game to watch somebody play. Like I recommend it a lot. Like, it's a really, really fun stream. Uh, for, oh, yeah. For my part, I have, I want to say, four shows. Uh, my flagship is Bath Time with the Scrub Lord, which is me being bad at video games, as the title might suggest. Just whatever I want to play, I'm going to play it. Uh, there's also Hoisting the Colors, which is pirate RPGs. I love RPGs about pirates, so even if they're bad, I'm going to play them on that. Also, there's some a other question. games that are quite RPG-ish. Are you ever going to play RPG-ish. Black Flag? Uh, I own it, so yeah, possibly. Although I think I would need a stronger rig to stream Black Flag. Yeah, but that's definitely oh, yeah. a possibility. Like that is oh. that is eligible for hoisting the colours. Uh, there's also Signal Boost, which is where I take stuff that I love or that I think deserves more attention, and I stream it so that it might get more attention. Mm. Uh, the most recent thing that I streamed was one of the Frogware uh, Sherlock Holmes games. Which are amazing. They, <laughs> I love them. They are. The one that I played wasn't very good. No, they don't get good until Sherlock Holmes versus Jack the Ripper. Yeah, they're not really. Like, um, definitely, I found uh, the Testament of Sherlock Holmes, while really silly, was uh, was much better than this one. But I was I was attracted to uh, the Awakened because it was supposed to combine Sherlock Holmes with H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. Yeah. Um, and speaking of, yes, my uh, my other show is Shower in the Dark, which is where I play spoopy games and uh, ostensibly horror games, most of which are like point-and-click adventure games from the 90s and early 2000s, because those are the horror games I own. So, yeah. from me, Alex, and from my wonderful co-host, Beth, mm-hmm. 
this has been House of Bards. Uh, thank you, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>